Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up. Glenn's going to bring you a Bible to make sure you've got one. Everybody else, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I apologize for being sick on and off for six weeks now. So this is actually part two. Pastor Dennis graciously preached part three last week. We're just taking a little step back. I am preaching just one verse. You guys are all free to laugh at me now. Oh my goodness, Greg. Are we ever going to finish the book of Acts? To which I would say, hey, it's a good verse. Knock it off. So, to read the scripture today, we've got our brother, Steve Hillier. Would you guys please give him a foundation welcome? Four thirteen. Yeah, It's also on the screen. Okay. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Do you guys know why I'm excited now? Did you just read what I read? Whew. Well, since you're excited like me, clearly you understand the text and we can go home now. Saved us some time. Renault's going to beat the Methodist to the Sizzler. Mm. We are teaching our way through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The name of the book, for your uh, little tidbit of the day, those of you who like nerdy details, the name of the book is not Scripture. Does that make sense? When God takes uh, 66 different books and says, these are my word, the titles and where the chapter numbers go, human beings came up with names that they used to describe the book, okay? And for a long time, it's called been the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of folks have critiqued, I think rightly so, that if you look at Paul's, uh, sorry, Luke's theology as he writes, he really believes this is the continued acts of Christ through his Holy Spirit, so that's why I said, hey, I'm going to go with a lot of the folks who have pushed back on that and said, do we really care what the apostles are doing unless the Holy Spirit is in them and through them, bringing the gospel, seeking and saving the lost? Come on, who's the hero here? You know what I mean? We, we don't, say, we don't say, take the book of Luke and say the acts of the disciples as they bumblingly follow Jesus across the countryside. That's not the name of the book. The acts of Peter as he opens mouth and inserts foot. He did that, but that's not what we call the book, right? We, write, we name it after the guy who put his testimony down on paper in that case. Here, it's a verb. I like it. The acts of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing in and through his church? Part two, again, preached out of order. Today's sermon is called Being with Jesus. I hope you've got your notes in front of you. I hope you've got a pen where you can receive uh, all the blessing and, and write down. I, I've, I've not done a good job of saying probably at all, let alone repeating some of you guys know the cone of learning that was developed back, I think, in the 60s. For the average human brain, when we hear something auditorily only, our retention rate can be 5% or even worse than 5%. So that is why I try hard. I don't do it every week, but I, I try really hard to have visuals, and I 
try to make sure you've got something in front of you that you can write down. Uh, when we write something down that we can refer to later, uh, a lot of uh, scientists believe we've just doubled our retention rate to at least 10%. The fact that you can go back to it repeatedly kind of allows you to never forget it if you want to keep going back to it. So I'd encourage note-taking if that serves you. Um, so this beautiful text, let's see some things, let's notice some things about being with Jesus, uh, that the Sanhedrin had just noticed that these guys didn't go to seminary, didn't have letters behind their name, weren't from the prestigious schools, their dad was not a senator, and yet they have the boldness to stand in front of the religious elite and just say, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, <laughs> was both Lord and Christ. I need to remind you, maybe you don't know this if you're new to church, but I remind the churchgoers. This is the same group where a portion of them at night condemned Jesus to death five weeks earlier. Same group. And from the Sanhedrin's perspective, they did their job. We wanted him dead, we got him dead. And every logical person who's their whole life had to walk down a road and see every once in a while the unfortunate sap who decided to try to kill a Roman officer or steal from the Roman government who got crucified. They saw Jesus crucified five weeks ago. Surely their, father, their followers, his followers would run for their life. There's no way they're going to come at us after this, right? That would be suicide, right? We're seeing just by Peter and John's presence and their boldness before the Sanhedrin, these two believe that tomb is empty. And they are transformed by it. They are marked by it. They find their identity in it. They don't fear the group of religious elites that can crucify people. They fear the risen Savior. Here's your first blank. Being with Jesus makes me become like Jesus. You guys know that? If we study the Bible without keeping in mind, without the intention that we are interacting spiritually with an eternal human being deity sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, you guys know that that's who you're interacting with when you read the Bible, right? Anybody ever had a transcendent experience reading Charles Dickens? That's what we're supposed to take away from the word became flesh. Do you guys know that your God not only became a human being to show you what holiness looks like, to live out a holiness you couldn't live out for yourself? You know your God embodied himself. He put all of what he has to say to humanity and by his spirit inspired for it to be written down. We are interacting with a risen Christ when we read, cherish, meditate on, and obey scripture. That's what makes the Bible different. If you're new, I know that's a crazy claim, but you need to know Christians believe that. This being written by God, by the way, is small potatoes if Jesus can walk out of his own grave. Let's just... Toe-to-toe, -to -toe, let's talk about what's harder to do. 
Defeat death or write a book? Come on, some of you have written a book. Thinking that God can't write a book? Skeptic, please. Yes, he can write a book. And when I engage with him, when I cherish his words, his commands are sweeter to me than honey from the honeycomb. When I think about them, when I get up, I'm thinking about them again when I get down, I write them on the doorposts of my home. We talk about them during meals. Isn't God good? Isn't the way he has ordained life to be lived, isn't it better? See, I am rubbing souls with my creator. I am with him. When we see in movies or television shows the, the disciples walking around with Jesus, it is so easy to think, oh man, that would have been easier. They got to walk around with Jesus. They got to just ask him questions. Wouldn't that be cool? They got to see how you're supposed to live because he's right there in front. And we're acting. I put it in my front pocket. I don't know. Um, We're going to try this. It doesn't matter that I look silly. Um, we get tempted to think that the original disciples had it easier than us. It is very tempting to think they saw more of Jesus than we see. They heard more of his voice than we hear. Somebody who's been to church a little while, help me out. Is that wrong? It is right before Jesus' ascension where he says to us, the church, my Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to do greater things than what you've already seen. What? Greater than raising Lazarus from the dead? Are you serious? Greater than opening that kid's lunchable for 20,000 people? No way. Brothers and sisters, our pneumatology, our, spirit, our, our theology of who the Holy Spirit is and what we think he's doing in the world has got to grow. When our understanding of the Holy Spirit grows, we're going to realize we have every bit as much of Jesus, if not more, than the original disciples had. The original disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit until Pentecost, did they? Guys, that means the Peter who walked on water did not have the same advantages that you and I have. Let's wrestle with that one until we believe it. Well, he had Jesus right there in front of him. <laughs> you have the Holy Spirit inside you. But we get confused. We spend too much time allowing our flesh to control our thinking and allow our dreams and thoughts to be really small our goals to be really small for what God's going to accomplish in my life today, let alone over the decades. This Holy Spirit's inside us to transform us and make us more like Jesus. The church word is sanctification. Sanctus, holy. Christian, do you know you're being holified? Whether you like it or not. Do you know you can make a deal with the Holy Spirit when you don't like that he's working on you? You can say, hey, Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't want to change in this area, and he can ignore you because he's God. 
Anybody see in the life of David where David grew and learned something that he didn't want to learn in an area he didn't want to grow? Hmm? See, that happened in Solomon's life. You see Moses learn things he didn't want to learn? What about Joshua? What about Joseph? Joseph learned any lessons he didn't want to learn? Did Joseph become a different man through lessons he never asked for? I think Garth said, thank God for unanswered prayer. The Sanhedrin have Peter and John in front of them. They're blown away at this boldness. And they know that these guys aren't specially educated, but they can recognize, the text says, that they had been with Jesus. Huh. So let's talk about melanin. I want you guys to imagine a very silly scenario. I'm going to call him Joe. Here's Joe. He's 28 years old, and he's making thousands and thousands of dollars going around the country, teaching seminar after seminar after seminar about the benefits of sunlight. You need more sunlight. Here's the data on UVA rays. Here's the data on UVB rays. It's awesome. You should do it. And he has a book for $22. And of course, he has an online course for $300. And you should sign up and get on, you know, follow him on X and all that good stuff. And this is how he makes his living, telling you how great sunlight is for you. You should do it. It's awesome. It's wonderful. What if Joe, the salesman, never spent any time in the sun, though? See, melanin is honest. If Joe lives in Santa Barbara and he spends an hour a day out on the beach with his shirt off, the melanin in his skin is going to say what is true about his past behavior, isn't it? This is why when we go over to California Sun, they call it a fake bake. No, none of you knew it was called a fake bake. You, you want to pretend you've been out in the sun? You're like, I don't have the time for that. I think it's no coincidence. When Moses was with God on the mountain receiving the law, do you know we couldn't even see Moses' face? It shined too bright. There was objective evidence that he had been with God. I'm concerned in my own heart, not for you guys, you guys are holy and never sin, but for me, I'm concerned that I want to spend no time in the presence of the sun, but I want amazing results. Anybody ever here wanted transformative results but didn't want to put in the time? Dennis is honest, his hand went up fast. I think our culture is built off of a desire for transformation and transformation now and quick and easy for three easy payments of $39.95. I'm dating myself. Everybody 25 and younger has no idea what I'm saying. It's an infomercial. It's this archaic thing. Anyway. I remember, I remember in college seeing, I, some of you guys are old enough that you actually saw it, but 
Um, I saw it in a history class. Somebody, I think, I th- want to say it was in the late 40s, so it, it might have been right after the war, but somebody invented this machine that put this leather strap around your tummy, and it was to shake your, because everybody feels more secure about your weight when your belly's shaking all over the place. But the this people selling the machine swore up and down, this is making the belly fat go away, you're going to be skinnier. And I'm just, I've, I've wondered now for years... How much did they have to pay the guy who stood there with a camera recording his belly fat shaking left to right? You couldn't pay me. There's no beachfront property in Maui that would get me to let you put a camera on me for that. Guys, it's not new. I I say that being in the presence of the sun is good for me. I just don't put in the time. I'm distracted, I'm busy, I'm sleepy, the kids won't leave us alone, whatever it might be. But how many of you guys know consistent time in the presence of the sun transforms us in one degree of glory to another? And we have microwave thinking. We'll go to the beach for 10 minutes and go, okay, Lord, I read my Bible twice. My wife and I should be reconciled by now. I listened to worship music all morning. My son and I should be okay now after that conflict. I went to church three or four times last month. I think I went to church every single Sunday last month and my problems at work still aren't solved. Where did you get that? Where did I get that? Who told us that you spend a little time with Jesus and then all of a sudden you know everything you need to know and you don't sin anymore? Who came up with that silliness? I think our fleshly desires came up. We wanted it to be easy. He said, you want to follow me? Fine. Take an instrument of torture and execution, put it on your shoulder and follow me. And what we heard was, here, three easy payments of $39.95. I think some of us heard what we wanted to hear. Following Jesus? It's a process. It's an everyday, beautiful, messy blessing. Following Jesus means you have donkey stuff on your feet going down the trails of Israel. And following Jesus means that when we get where we're going, You wrap a towel around your waist and you wash that donkey stuff off the feet of your brothers and sisters, right? There's nothing glamorous about this. Who's exalted? King Jesus. Anybody else? No. These guys follow Jesus for three and a half years. And I dare say that cool little trick at the end, dying for our sins and raised to life and then floating into heaven saying, go make more disciples. That might have had just as big a transformative effect as the three and a half years, but they were there for all of it. They, were, they heard truth from his mouth for three and a half years. They saw what he did. They heard what he said. They saw who he was. They experienced who he was. And I guess what I want to ask you if you're a Christian, are you experiencing every day who Jesus is? Because if you read the Bible wrong, you're not going to. If the Bible is an academic textbook, you're going to learn facts about God instead of getting to know God. 
You Facebook stalked a girl instead of reading a love letter for the 400th time and feeling how much she loves you. If you are not interacting with the person of Jesus Christ when you read this book, you are reading it wrong. You're reading it academically. And I, and I don't mean to be, um, I'm not trying to pick on Jordan Peterson. Some of you guys know who Jordan Peterson is. I um, am happy to listen to some of his thoughts on the way that the world works or doesn't work. But man, he has grown so bold as to teach entire online series of the book of Genesis and of the book of Exodus, this or that. And the Christian world is just kind of shaking their heads going, how can you know so much about the scriptures, but you still don't know the God of the scriptures? He, he had just recently in his Exodus series come out saying the whole point of, Exodus, the whole point of Genesis, the central message is that you are to climb Jacob's ladder. And the Gospel Coalition had to put out a statement saying, no, Jordan, Jesus Christ said, I am Jacob's ladder. If you interact with this book with zero desire to interact with the risen Savior, you will be able to. You will turn it into a Dickens novel. You will turn it into a textbook. And you will not be transformed by the presence of the Son. Early 19th century pastor Alexander McLaren says this, an ounce of experience is worth a ton of theology. You want 2,000 pounds of really well-built-out ideas of who God is, or do you want just a moment actually meeting him? And this is a guy, he was in his 60s when he said this. He'd been pastoring folks for 35 years when he said it. So this wasn't some cute 25-year-old trying to make it on Twitter. He saw over and over again, I can have people in my pews who know really cool things and read really thick books, but they're not necessarily walking with God. We see this in our text here. The Sanhedrin know all of the texts. They know all of the books. They know all of the theories about what does this psalm mean or what does that psalm mean? What did Moses say when he said this? What does it really mean on the third day God created this? They had answers to all of those things. And a couple of fishermen said, hey, I've been with him. I hope, if you've been with me these five and a half years, I hope I have convinced you that I love deep study. I hope I've convinced you that big books have a place and they are precious and they are beautiful. They just cannot replace God. What's really powerful is when you read a big book and everything you read, you realize that the author walks with Jesus. That's when you're really getting the gravy. That was... If you want a book recommendation, I was 24 years old reading Desiring God by John Piper. And it is a thick book. It's a heady book. Every two or three pages, I felt like I had to set it down for my brain to comprehend what he was saying. But I never once doubted. It was so clear through everything he was saying. This man is madly in love with his Savior, and he is calling the reader to be in love with the Savior. That's what the book is. And we call it theology. Just an ounce of experience with Jesus is worth 2,000 pounds of theology. I want to encourage you. This is not in your notes, but I want you to jot this down. Make a written plan for how you invest time with Jesus. That's what I want to encourage you toward if you love him.
Write it down or it's just not going to happen. Some of us with small kids, we're thinking, okay, first thing, drug my children so they'll sleep till seven. Then, step two, wake up at six. I'm not saying there isn't a struggle. There is a struggle. Make a written plan. If you're more of a Mary than a Martha, maybe the first thing on your heart is, I want my commute to and from work to be worship music. And so I'm, I have a CD player in my car, or I've got a, a worship station, and I'm going to make sure that this time it is inspiring my soul toward worship because music speaks to me most. If you're a little more heady, that's a great time to pull out your YouVersion Bible app and have it read scripture to you. You say, hey, I garden every Saturday morning for an hour, and I want that to remind me of God cultivating me. I'm going to open up the, the Proverbs and have the YouVersion read Proverbs to me while I pull weeds from the base of my tomatoes. Write it down so you remember to do it. Hey, I'm going to do a day of solitude once a quarter, and I'm going to get away, and I'm going to walk in these beautiful mountains. We, people in Nebraska remind me, you know, when I drive through Nebraska or I'm talking with family, the gorgeous forests that we have here that we take for granted in Northern California. Maybe once a quarter I need to walk amongst trees that are way older than me and way bigger than me, and I need to feel small, and I need to feel the majesty of God, and I need to go there and just enjoy silence and hear my own thoughts where it's just me and Jesus for a day and see what the Lord says in me and through me. You guys know Jesus was alone for 40 days, right? He was fasting. We're going to preach on fasting soon here when Lent comes up. But he wasn't just fasting. It was solitude. Maybe we need to make a plan for solitude. Maybe make a plan for prayer. I've encouraged you who love Jesus. Put at least five names. Write them in the front of your Bible of folks that you want to know and love Jesus and pray for them every morning when you open the scriptures. God, save my friends. God, save my family. Please, only you can light the spark. I can share the gospel, but only you can make their heart come alive to receive it. Make a plan. If you're trying to get a tan, you make a plan to get sunlight. If you want to become like Jesus, you got to make a plan to be with him. Be with him, okay? So now let me say something tough, but important. A lot of us, a part of our plan for holiness is to be with his people on Sunday and with his people in a Bible study, and that is a great plan. But then that takes our meetings on Sunday and our meetings and our Bible studies, and it holds them accountable, doesn't it? Oh, see, you don't know how dangerous that is, so let me spell it out for you. When a Bible study gets together... If we chit-chat and we only chit-chat about the NFL playoffs, we missed an opportunity perhaps for some fellowship. Okay? There's nothing wrong with talking about God's favorite sport. <laughs> but if you have a Bible study set up, everybody's got a little bit of a different structure, a different approach. If you have only 15 minutes for free-form chit-chat, maybe you got 30 minutes, we can talk about the game or I can ask you how you're doing. 
And I cannot spend the same 15 minutes doing two things at once, can I? I want this time to be a time where you interact with Jesus. You get Christ in me and I get Christ in you. So let's make sure we do the deep work too. How was your week? That sounds tough. Let me pray for you. Let me listen to your story. Let me serve you. How can we resource you? That is where we interact with Jesus is when the church is the church. Guys, I can talk football with anybody. You know that? You do not need a transformative experience with Jesus Christ to talk with me about why Green Bay should have no chance this afternoon. Should. Us Cowboys fans learn to cross our fingers because anything can happen. But Fellowship, koinonia, are the things that we do, the things that we say, and the things that happen as a natural fruit of two or more people loving Jesus with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if corporate time is a part of your written plan, hey, I want to be like Jesus, I need to serve. That's a great idea. In fact, this whole core values banner is a great way to be in fellowship with Jesus. Whatever your plan is, please, please, please write it down. And you know what? If I was really heavy-handed, and I'm not, if I was really heavy-handed, I'd say, hey, everybody in Bible study this week, Share your plan, compare notes, share ideas, commit. We've got a Saturday morning group. They don't need to write down their plan. If they woke up and got to Starbucks by 6 a.m., I already know that they did the hard work. <laughs> you made it. You're alive. It's a miracle. Now let's open the word and get after it. I want to encourage you to write down your plan. I, I, this is so emotional for me. I was 19 years old. The first time I had a pastor tell me, write down your plan to be with Jesus. And I felt robbed because I'd been in church my whole life and nobody had ever said that. I felt like I had, what a privilege that to grow up in a Christian family that you could be 19 years old and you feel like you've already lost time. I know some of you saints, you came to Christ at 50, you came to Christ at 70, and you've got your own sense of feeling lost time. I felt it at 19. How come nobody ever told me to write this down? I can't do anything without writing it down. Once it was written down, I was very faithful in my time in the scriptures. I, I did so much better. So I want to encourage you toward the same end. Something else we learned from our text, being with Jesus frees me from fearing anyone other than Jesus. Like that's a whole sermon right there on one slide. In 2 Kings 6, everybody's favorite haunt. I know you were just meditating on it this morning. Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, his protege, has the Aramean army coming after him. You know you're a good preacher when an actual army is coming after you. You apparently have a really good ministry that Satan says, hey, armies of darkness, let's go send some people to kill him. You've got a good ministry. Hasn't happened to me yet, so I need to preach harder. I don't know what. Anyway, the Arameans are coming, and Elisha's servant sees the physical armies, the, the mere mortals standing in front of him, freaks out, and Elisha is perfectly calm. Anybody remember the story? Why is Elisha calm? 
he sees a bigger, stronger army surrounding the army of mere mortals. He sees the armies of heaven. Elisha can see them, and so he prays, Lord, show my servant. Give him eyes so that he can see that you are here, that you are here tangibly. This is, guys, I know I keep hammering on this every December. It is really important contextually we understand when the angels show up to the shepherds the night of Jesus' birth and say, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, peace on earth, war in heaven, peace just here. Don't worry, we're not here to kill you. Goodwill toward you, who God is about to give favor through his Messiah. Oh, there's a war, all right. This army, we make it so cute. Because it's, it's great, we didn't do it this year, but putting three and four-year-olds up here in little shepherd's costumes and getting one to try, get my kid to try to dress like a sheep and get a picture before she rips it off, it's adorable. But guys, angels are not cute. Throughout scripture, people soil themselves when they see an angel. The angel always has to say, either do not be afraid or do not bow down and worship me, or both. Every time we see an angel. Elisha sees angelic armies much bigger and much stronger around that army. So who does he fear? Huh? Isn't Elisha free? His servant isn't free. He is a slave to fear of the army he can see. Anybody here been a total slave to fear of the army that you could see? You didn't see the army behind the army? It's called being a human. God is bigger than this problem, and he loves me more than I love me. He is stronger than this foe, whether that foe is outside of me or inside of me. Peter and John are not afraid of the Sanhedrin. And that is crazy. That's crazy. That is a testimony unto itself of the resurrection. Imagine you're sitting there, a really devout, well-educated Jew. You're one of the 70, and you're boggled that these guys aren't afraid of crucifixion. Isn't there something maybe, just maybe, by the mercy of God lurking inside your heart going, maybe Jesus did come back from the dead. What on earth would transform these two like this? This is insanity. We can kill them. And they are preaching to us. They come in like they have the moral authority of Yahweh to tell us who Messiah is. We have all the letters behind our name and we're used to giving the answers and all of a sudden they are telling us we crucified the answer. These two do not fear the people who can kill them. Elisha didn't fear the people who were in front of him who had swords and spears who could theoretically kill him. Was Jesus ever afraid of Roman soldiers? Huh? Guys, it, it, is, it is insane to try to get our heads and our emotions into this. Jesus did not fear Roman soldiers. Could you imagine somebody in that day knowing that they were going to be crucified? 
and living 33 years knowing that? We know Jesus wasn't afraid of Roman soldiers. He said, I've got legions of angels. I know the army behind the army. I created the army behind the army. Brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus Christ, you and I are not to fear what mere human beings can do to us. Our boldness shouts louder and shouts over the threats of other people. And it forces somebody to think just a little bit. Are they crazy? They don't come across as crazy. Maybe that tomb is empty. They don't fear me. I have, I have a gun and they don't fear me. I have a knife and they don't fear me. I can fire her and she doesn't fear me. I can cancel him and he doesn't fear me. It's like they're marked by Jesus, like they've been in his presence, they've been transformed by him or something. I don't know. What do you do with these Christians? Let's ask ourselves an important question. Do people around me, this is for the Christians in the room, do people around me see boldness that is based on a personal connection with Jesus? Not what politics offers. Right now, politics offers a boldness in a news media outlet telling you over and over again that you are right and therefore you are morally superior and the other side is stupid, right? Everybody's ready to win an argument, but they're not ready to win a friend. And Jesus stands outside of that and says, I'm going to make you bold. And you're going to say things that frustrate people, but it's not going to be in the silly, small things of mere mortals. No, no. You're going to tell human beings that they have been rebels against me and I died for them anyway. Do we have a boldness? Do we have a boldness that confounds? Do we have a boldness that points to a personal connection with Jesus? Do the people around us come to the conviction I don't know about that whole Christianity thing, but she sure talks to Jesus every morning. That's obvious. She talks with Jesus all day. Some of you guys do not have, did not have the privilege of knowing Dorothy Morgan. Dorothy would not sometimes let me finish my sentences before she would pray for me. And when somebody that close to Jesus interrupts, you say, yes, ma'am. Dorothy did not fear anybody besides Jesus. She had walked with Aslan and she knew Aslan could tear her apart, but it's not his desire to because that's not his heart. His desire was to save. Do you have boldness like that, born out of a personal connection with Jesus? Do I have it? So here's your next step. I want to encourage you to do a fear inventory. Is it really 10.30? Kaiser. <sighs> wow, Greg. Who do I hate disappointing? From whom do I fear most receiving criticism? 
That's a fear inventory. Who do I care? Whose voice do I obey, essentially? Who can I just not let down? And then last of the day, lightning fast. Being with Jesus and doing what he says makes me the evangelist God intends. Got anything going on in your heart? You think, oh, I'm terrible at sharing the gospel with my friends. Oh, man, I'm not bold enough to talk with my brother. We see in this text that all these guys had to do was be with Jesus, and they were the evangelist that God intended, weren't they? Your insecurity comes from Satan whispering in your ear, bro. You walked with Jesus. In the greatest Star Wars film ever made in 1983. If you want to say it's Empire Strikes Back, you can fight me. I'll meet you in the parking lot afterwards. No, it was Return of the Jedi. Luke has been training under Yoda. And Luke says to Yoda, so I am a Jedi then. Because Yoda had said, you have all the training you need. Oh, okay, cool. Does that, mean, that means I'm a Jedi then. And Yoda says something really, really inconvenient. He says, you must confront Vader. Then and only then a Jedi will you be. Those that walked with Jesus then took that walk with Jesus, that transformative encounter, and what did they do with that walk with Jesus? They start healing in his name. They proclaim in his name. They go toe-to-toe with the Sanhedrin after Jesus has ascended into heaven. They are obeying what they were trained in. They are executing, not just faith, but verified by action. Brothers and sisters, we'll be exactly the evangelist that God wants us to be. We need to walk with him. We need to be with him. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, transform us by your word. Deep down in our soul, convince us that this same truth that was true of Peter and John is true of us. When we trust you and obey you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, make this true of us. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So I've preached way too long, so give it about 10 minutes, and we will have the heart meeting in the office in about 10 minutes with Miss Irene. It's going to be wonderful. Love you guys. Have a great week. Oh, 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 go back to the sign-up table, because if lunch is lousy next week, I won't come. You got to fill that sucker out, bring lots of yummy things. So the chili cookout is a smash success. Thank you guys.